Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broaden our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with, uh, I'm here with Jason. Hey, everyone. Uh, we don't have Michael today. Uh, please don't stop listening to us, though. <laughs> he will be back. Yes, he, he is the charm. Um, this is one of our special quick cut episodes. We haven't done one of these in a while. Um, but a cool opportunity came up, and we didn't have the, the scheduling capabilities to lock all three of us down. Mm-hmm. So we're trying this duo thing. Yeah, we're very busy people. Yeah. Un- unfortunately, <laughs> right now. Our social calendars are just so full. <laughs> so um, we are going to talk about a movie today. So it's going to be kind of like a normal episode. But this is a situation, like last year, we had one of these where... A, for some reason, a director reached out to us and was like, hey, I'm an indie film director. I've got this movie coming out. I would love it if you guys watched it and kind of talked about it. What do you mean for some reason? Our opinions influence <laughs> empires, dude. I mean, I'm, I'm just always surprised when it happens. Uh, very humbled, <laughs> very thankful, but also surprised. Absolutely. Um, so today we are going to be talking about Pink Rabbit, directed by Zetkin Yakilmus. And that is a new movie that hasn't even been released yet. Yes. Uh, currently, it is slated for release on September 13th. As always, we do a lot of this stuff in advance, so I don't know when this episode is going to drop. I assume somewhere close around it. So we don't really have any releasing info directly to drop on air. But as always, if you go to our episode, check the show notes, I will plug all those links in for you. Um, I know it's going to be... Some sort of digital release. I don't know if it's streaming, VOD, something. And I think I've seen on their social media stuff, there is going to be a Blu-ray of some kind. Nice. Which I may or may not be purchasing to add to my collection. Well, we'll see. We'll see. All right, so um, do we want to have a little background on this filmmaker? Yeah, let's do it. Start out. Um, it's actually a husband-wife duo. Uh, Zetkin, that we've already mentioned, and then her husband, Dominic... As uh, primarily the cinematographer for things. Um, I was able to pull up a little bit of background here. So, um, Zetkin Yakilmus uh, studied both physics and prehistoric archaeology in Berlin before devoting her energies to her love of art. So that sounds like a movie right there. <laughs> Automatically, yeah. Um, after several years of work that resulted in the creation of a large catalog of graphic and installation pieces, including the widely acclaimed and controversial installation Guantanamo Box, which I'm curious about that. I couldn't Ooh. find much online. Oh, but um, yeah. then she began experimenting with video and film. And this led to her writing and directing several different experimental and short films and to be involved in numerous different independent film projects, going through different roles, including being the assistant director, acting in films, everything. And um, she's used that experience to go forward in her own film production. So this one, Pink Rabbit, is the third feature they've worked on. Uh, and that follows Planet Z and Some Smoke in a Red Locker, which are both out there. Uh, and I know it's on VOD to some degree. They might be streaming somewhere. Jason, did you track that down? Uh, Planet Z is streaming on Tubi at the moment. Hey, man, Tubi. For free. You Check know we it love out. it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's awesome. Um, so, yeah, so this is, as it was pitched to us, it's a... Uh, what was it? A uh, female, feministy, horror-focused feature Mm -hmm. and she said it was a trash cinema Mm -hmm. which i i I kind of disagree with but we'll get into that i think 
I actually wanted to start there because you and I had this discussion before we started recording. Mm-hmm. So uh, when you hear the word trash horror, what, what do you like? How do you define that? I think of things like exploitation, gore, mm-hmm. stuff like um, uh, the old Herschel Gordon Lewis movies, mm-hmm. you know, Street Trash. It's in the very okay. name, yeah. the movie. Things like that. That's okay. what I think of. Low budget, exploitation, gory, lots of nudity, trashy. See, I think to me it's the the low budget side is where that hits for me. When I hear someone say trash horror, I think of like a trauma film, like a full moon film, okay, anything like that. It's like when you when you go in, you know that to a to a conventional person, if you are you're Joe Average and you walk up to the movie theater every weekend to watch something, and you go to watch one of these, you're like the budget's not there, maybe the acting's not quite the conventional kind of cast you would expect, um, things like that. So you equate it more with the budget instead of the content. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. I wonder what most people think about that when they hear trash. wonder what Michael thinks. <laughs> we don't know. We can't <laughs> ask him. Um, yeah, but um, we were. thank you for reaching out to us. We're super honored that you wanted us to check this film out. Um, we will get into our thoughts, but I did have a lot of fun just watching it and prepping for this episode. Um. If you're listening in and you yourself are an indie director, always please reach out to us if you have a film and you want people to check it out. Please. Uh, we're always happy to watch it. We will always give a generally fair and balanced review. You know, we're not going to just uh, puff smoke out. No, no. Just because. Um, yeah. We have standards, damn it. <laughs> to a degree. <laughs> Uh, and we probably will get into detail about this movie. So if it sounds like something you want to check out unspoiled, maybe skip to the end or something to get our final thoughts. <laughs> yeah, because we're going to do this just like a normal episode. So we, you know, we, we do the deep dive. We walk through the plot step by step, really dig in there, talk about everything that we like, things we think are weird or different or, or hang up for us, and get nice into the nitty gritty. Right. Um, So before we do that, I will just drop the synopsis of this film. Yes. So at this point, you can kind of jump off if you're like, wait, I want to see that. Mm -hmm. Because I will say also, this film has some some twistiness to it where there's bigger revelations as you go. So there is a bit of a reward for going in blind. Right. The protagonist Martha's daily trip from work to home and her young son become a nightmare as a figure dressed like a pink rabbit crosses her path. The pink rabbit forces her into three bloody quests through different time periods. Can Martha win these challenges and keep her promise to put her son to bed? So if that sounds like your cup of tea, stop now. Wait for the movie to come out. I have a feeling it'll probably be streaming on Tubi, but like Dustin said, I'll put it in the show notes so you can find it. Oh, yeah. But now we will talk about it, so uh, warning, spoilers. And the first thing I love is that this movie just hits the ground running and goes, because it immediately opens on a scene. It opens with a titular pink rabbit stomping mm-hmm. a bunch of flowers. That's over the credits at yep. the very beginning. Um, and the 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 pink rabbit um, is played by Roland Bialk. Um and he is a professional German wrestler. <laughs> oh, that explains it. Yeah. Okay. I thought maybe he was like an actual, you know, professional psycho or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's such a great tradition of horror and. Grabbing professional wrestlers true. and casting them in there. Very so. true. They know how to go over the top mm-hmm. and just really sell it to the cheap seats. 
Which this guy does. I mean, oh, yeah. he, he, he chews up the scenery. He hams it up the whole film, but I actually love his performance. It's pretty fun. Uh, and sometimes it is like a little disturbing, and then other times it's like straight up just Looney Tunes. Oh, yeah. Just ripped out of the page. Yeah, I was actually surprised how far into comedy this swerved. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's like frolicking through a field, and we get kind of this smash cut into an alarm clock going, out, going off that interrupts this intro. And immediately drags us sort of into our main character, Martha, who is played by Zetkin. So she has the, the dual role of directing and acting as the lead. And a lot of other things. She uh, she wrote the film. I noticed in the credits she did a lot of the editing. She mm-hmm. did the color grading. Yep. So a uh, very talented person yes. to have done all of this. Definitely. Um, yes, but we meet Martha. She's uh, typical. Uh, she goes to work at an office. She's got a husband and a kid, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I really related to this character almost immediately because she's clearly overworked <laughs> and unappreciated in her job. Yeah, her boss comes in and starts tells her that she's late and she can't keep doing that. She's going to get fired, mm-hmm. handing her all these files to go over, read, yeah, proofread, whatever she has to do. Um, and you know, it made me think of like, if you know a lot about video games in the video game industry, they have this whole thing about crunch where they like force them to work more to get the game done on time. Right. I think uh, like uh, computer effects too in movies, yeah. they'll do that. Uh, this had that vibe because the boss is just like, well, it's got to get done. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and she says something about how she hasn't been, she hasn't seen her son in days. Yeah. I think she says, uh, but he doesn't care. He's, no. We don't even see his face. He's just like this faceless entity. We see like his body from the neck down or something. And I kind of like that because it's kind of like you feel the impact that he has on her life, but you don't, like he is not a person yeah, in the story. he's not a person. He's just some sort of entity that doesn't care, like a god. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, some other things we should notice right away that we should note. Um, the dialogue is kind of overdubbed. If you've watched a lot of Italian horror cinema, you, you kind of get that vibe already. Right. Uh, it can be jarring for some people I know when I've tried to introduce friends to films like this. But they were speaking English, though. Mm, they are. Right. Um, so they have the, the accents and everything. And that threw me off a bit at first. Mm. Uh, only because I wasn't sure about the setting of the movie. So when you, when you find out later <laughs> where it's set, <laughs> I was like, okay. Uh, and we'll get to that. Um... But she gets a phone call. She gets a phone call from her husband. And I love this scene because they do the like uh, split screen. Yeah, old-fashioned split screen. It's great. And they've got the kid in the background like talking <laughs> and acting out. And immediately, you got to shout out to uh, House by the Cemetery and Bob. <laughs> yeah, the kid's are dubbed over. <laughs> probably by his mother. Probably by the director. I'm not sure. I don't but know. it's a high-pitched kind of feminine voice. Mm-hmm. Maybe they just pitched another voice up real high or something. But um, yeah, it has that sort of disembodied, weird feeling mm-hmm. that you got from House by the Cemetery. It's the same thing as that film where it's like, I guess technically you would say it's bad, but it's like it's so funny, but also kind of like lovingly enjoyable at the same time. Yes. Uh, it just made me smile. And the kid's cute, mm-hmm. so that goes a long way too. Unlike Bob. <laughs> oh! Sorry, Bob. Man. Uh, yeah, but they just a have child. a nice moment. She, she talks to her kid, and they're kind of asking if she's going to come back home or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, she decides that she's just going to leave. She's going to go home because she wants to see her son. Yeah, she promises her kid she will be home. But before that, her boss comes and hands her another thick stack of papers. The title is Homecoming of the Pink Rabbit. Mm-hmm. So there's 
little little seed, a little tease. Yeah. So on her way home, it's night. She's driving. Oh, well, as she leaves, too, um, there's like a window in the back of her office. Yes. Which her office is awful, too, because it looks like it's just like a basement. Yeah, it's a basement, <laughs> basement room yeah. that they've shoved her into. Right. I've been um, there before. But we see the pink rabbit kind of drop down in the background. That's right. Like yeah. he's stalking about. And I'll let you get into this because it is cool, but her going to work and then her first leaving for work, there's these really good, like, atmospheric wide shots of, like, the van driving through the countryside. Mm hmm. And I really like those because it almost had that like A24-ish art house film vibe to it. Yeah, I can see that. And whatever camera they're using looks pretty good too. Mm-hmm, yeah. I mean, it's just obviously a low-budget feature, but it, it looks nice. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're using like some sort of 4K or something, but it's great how cheap they become and how you know it enables people to do this, to make these movies. Oh, yeah. Um, so she's driving home and suddenly, uh, like in this puff of pink, glowing pink magic i don't know yeah. uh, a kid appears in the middle of the road like in a bunny outfit and she stops right before hitting him and then the kid disappears mm-hmm. and she's like you know what the hell but then her vehicle vanishes and she like falls to the ground and i love this stunt because this is like a cg effect this like poof yeah. warping effect but it looks really good the way it vanishes and they have her kind of roll like, yeah yeah the I mean, just it, came looked, out it looked nice yeah. it was good uh, but then she also disappears Yes. And she finds herself in the woods. It's still nighttime. And uh, this robed figure and a dog comes upon her. Mm-hmm. And he knocks her out with a rock. Oh, and this is also one of the first times where you get a bit of like... There's some comedic timing to a lot of the delivery of some of the stuff. Yeah. Because I love that the dog like corners Martha. And then she's like, oh, <laughs> nice dog. Yeah, you're a good boy. Yeah. And I wasn't sure how much of it was the fact that English is obviously their second language. Mm-hmm. Or if it was like an intentional kind of comedic effect. I think it's a little bit of both. <laughs> like to me, I got like an Evil Dead 2 vibe where it's like it is serious what's going on. But you are supposed to laugh sometimes about right. the, the oh, interactions. Yeah. yeah, especially as it progresses because it gets a little bit sillier. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but they knock her out and capture mm-hmm. And she uh, wakes up in the locked room. In what looks like some old house, and there's a father and son outside. Okay, and prop number one for me on this movie, because I've been harping on this a lot this year. Um, there's mice in her cell, and they're all over her. And they just got real mice, you know? Yeah. No fucking CG mice. No to CG do mice. Well, I you mean, could just get a real one and do it. They're obviously cute little white domestic, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> pets, but still, they're real, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, right, but no, good point, good point. And they weren't like some fake rubbery no. thing. Uh, so I very much respect that. Sure. Because somehow with thousands and thousands of dollars, a Hollywood studio can't... <laughs> can't get, get a damn rat. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but we meet these two assholes that are kind of have captured her. Um, Kane the Butcher and Caleb Shaman. And Caleb is Kane's son. Yes. And the first thing we should note about Caleb is he looks suspiciously similar to one of the uh, capital protest storming people. <laughs> did you get that? I did. I did, yeah. yeah the guy with the stupid, like, buffalo headdress sure. hat. Yeah, the QAnon shaman. Yeah, I think he's known yeah, yeah. As. It has to be a reference to that. And I, I was, it was so funny when it came up. I was like, oh my God, I love that you're lampooning the ridiculousness of this. You're probably right. And also hanging prominently in the back is a big Confederate flag, mm-hmm. which I found extremely 
extremely confusing at first because everyone has a you know a German accent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, where where are they? What? Huh? Well, and dude, it, the first thing we learn is that we don't we get the, we get a date later. Yes, but she seems to be like, oh, I'm in the past somehow. These are like they seem more like you know rural right. village folk than like actual. Which people. I actually I did not get that at first. Mm-hmm. I was thinking they were just you know. They were Mountain they were QAnon people. Yeah, they were QAnon people. <laughs> Survival preppers. Yeah, it was like wrong turn sort mm-hmm. of territory, you know. I could see that. Um, but yeah, these guys are obviously cannibals. I mean, you know that right away. <laughs> and uh, the guy that plays Kane, uh, Klaus Peter Seifert. <laughs> He's awesome. He is fucking awesome. I think um, like Zetkin really like carries the film because she is the lead and she just pulls the whole thing together. But of the supporting cast. Dude, he is fucking awesome. Yeah, he's got a cool face. Mm-hmm. He's got like, you know, old craggy features and a cool voice. His just... delivery is on point. He's chewing the fuck out of every scene yeah, he's in. Yeah, he Man, makes... it's so good. He's a great bad guy. He'd be like a really good Imperial officer or something in one of the new Star Wars shows. As no, Charles Band needs to get this guy on the phone. <laughs> he could be the new puppet master. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh, and they say something about uh, they catch her trying to escape because mm. the wall's like really thin plaster and she's like digging through it. But they also said that the moon hasn't reached its zenith, so they can't kill her yet. Mm. So she can join them for some wine and liver. <laughs> and we we get a little Texas chainsaw with it. They they tie her up in a chair. Uh huh. Kind of just, she's there at their mercy as they they sort of ham it up. Yep. Ham it up because they kill a pig, right? And they do a neat thing, too. They, they tell her this really disturbing story about a lamb named Snowflake. Yeah, right. And it actually gives us this like animated flashback segment. Yeah. And it's not very long, uh-uh. but it actually liked the style and the way it looked. It was very like... It's like a children's book. Yeah, like a children's book. Mm-hmm. Uh- <laughs> but this is where we do know, like they start to talk about like when it is, and it's supposedly 1866. Yes. And... I'll just say this now because I was confused about this until almost the end. But they are supposed to be in America. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. you did you grok that at first? Oh, wow. You're bumping stuff already. Hey. Um. <laughs> I'm doing double time here. I'm giving my illuminating, uh, incisive opinion on this movie. And I'm also recording it. So, you know. Yeah, that's usually Michael's job. Cut me some slack. <laughs> I, I do appreciate your efforts. Thanks. So, um, yeah, I, I just assumed it was America. I assumed it was America until anything Did told you? me otherwise. Yeah, Really? Mm. Okay, because I was thinking it was just Germany. Because my confusion with the Confederate flag was, why does that exist in the past that far? What, 1866? Well, it, it seemed, well the war already happened. It, that's, that is true, I guess. But I don't know. Seeing that there, it seemed like such an out-of-place thing. That I didn't get why it, was <laughs> it should there. be an out of place yeah. thing now, but a um, lot of people still have them. <laughs> but I think there's an interesting when you get further and there's some twist to it. It makes sense why it's there. But yeah, I don't know. Okay, that, that was one of those things that kept pulling me. Every, well, I, I was confused because yeah. I did not know this was supposed to be in America because mm. I I got no clue to that before this. Maybe the Confederate flag should have clued me in. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe there's a lot of like. I don't know. Dukes of Hazard fans in Germany. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, and he, when the when Kane the Butcher is telling um, Caleb about <laughs> how they don't steal because that's not natural. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I love that part because like animals kill, they don't steal. You know, we're we're natural, we're one with nature. And he's going into this big spiel, and you see Caleb just kind of zone out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually wrote down a not the whole like quote, but part of it. He says, uh, "Hunting to survive is something every animal does, but stealing is something that's man-made. Man-made like the money, which is used to enslave nature and subjugate all beings." Yeah, well, he's not completely wrong. But I love how he's just zoning out like, Ooh. And we get we get a little context on them more. Um, so Caleb is apparently had some some sort of trauma to him that's left him like a bit mentally broken. And they keep referring to a famine that's happened. Uh-huh. And they apparently the um, Cain had a wife and another kid. And they actually <laughs> died during the famine. Despite his best efforts to preserve their lives by letting them eat his leg. Yes, because he has a wooden leg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting little plot details for these. Side yeah, characters, yes. <laughs> Maybe um, there'll be a prequel or set back in the <laughs> 1800s with them. That'd be cool. I'm good for more of Kane. I think. Yeah, right? yeah, definitely. Um, so she just kind of, you know, basically begs them to let her go. Yeah, she's like, I'll pay you money, and that's how the whole we don't take money situation. I loved it too because she was like PayPal, and they're like, we don't know what this PayPal <laughs> yeah. is. What is PayPal? <laughs> And they tell her how she looks dressed funny and stuff mm-hmm. like that and tell her what year it is. And she's like, what? Uh, and then her phone starts to ring, mm-hmm. which freaks them the fuck out. Yes. I love the execution of this, that they just like storm away from her. And then she actually capitalizes on this and just whips out the phone and starts like taking photos of them. Yeah. Like she has the flash going and everything yeah. and taking their picture and showing it to them and saying like, I can kill you. Yeah. She shows them one of the pictures, and she's like, I've captured your soul. Yeah. Well, that's pretty smart, you know. Great plan. Unfortunately, well, Kane is pretty crazy. Yeah, he's pretty crazy. He's not afraid of witches. <laughs> uh, now, why did her phone ring, though? I mean, we could chalk it up to, like, magic with the mm-hmm. pink rabbit's powers and stuff, but, I mean, she's really in the past. Her phone shouldn't have been ringing. There's no telling. Okay. I'll, I'll chalk it up to the pink rabbit. <laughs> Um, but it's a great line, again, that the King guy delivers because he says, if it is my time to die, then so it is written. And he just picks up a weapon and comes at her. Yeah, yeah. And then kind of an awkward fight ensues. I thought it was interesting because it's definitely a little bit of awkward editing going on, but it's like there were some moments where it looked really, really good and it was staged super well, and then it'll cut, and then that next cut is like, what's going on? They're like slowly... Mm-hmm. slowly swinging the stuff at each other. Right. And then it'll cut back to another scene that looks really good again. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you know, it gets its point across. Uh, but they subdue Martha, capture her again. Once again. And they reveal that their plan is to sacrifice her to Mother Nature. Yes. And Kane's like, playing this drum. <laughs> and, and Caleb's doing this little dance to it, which was just great. I quite liked that. Uh, so they're gonna kill her, and they're like taking her shirt off, mm-hmm. and they see she has stretch marks. So he start asking about the child, like, "Where mm-hmm. is your child?" And that's when we get the story about him, yeah, and his family fitting them with his leg, yeah. Uh, and then they they whip out the old knife and stab her, and this is a pretty good gore gag, I thought. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. I like the blood, like as it like gushes out of her mouth. It was a little thickish. Little raspberry jamish, oh, but not come bad. Come on, I, 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 maybe I'm nitpicking. <laughs> I'm picky about my blood. All right, right but you know what? At least it wasn't freaking CG blood. True. That was, that was one of the things I put in my note is that there is one spot where there's a little bit of CG blood, but overall, a lot of the effects that are actually like the gore gags and stuff, they are practical. Yeah, yeah. 
So even if the colors are maybe a little funny to you, it still it looks good. It feels good. I'll take it. I mean, God, Day of the Dead or um, Dawn of the Dead has <laughs> that spaghetti sauce for blood. Yeah, so, you know, whatever. <laughs> um. So yeah, she's uh, she's not doing good. She's gonna die apparently and be a sacrifice for these these jack jackasses here. Um, Until the pink rabbit shows up. Yeah, it's great because he just kind of busts down the door and (laughs) and charges in there. Yeah, that's where you really get the wrestler vibe. And he's wearing—he's got like this, yeah, a pink like rabbit suit over like it looks like just a white Mm t-shirt, and he's wearing like code chains, (laughs) (laughs) and he's wearing an alarm clock. I guess sort of like. Uh, uh, the Mad Hatter, right? Well, it made me think of the White Rabbit from Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, the White Rabbit, yeah. White Rabbit. Yeah, not the Mad Hatter. Which it is rabbit. the same alarm clock that we see by her bedside in the intro. Yes. Yeah, but he uh, he charges in and kind of saves the day. He kicks her asses. Yeah. Um, and um, then he... <laughs> I like how he... He goes fucking crazy was really what happens. He says a lot of stuff that's very funny, very weird. Um... I think it's when he's fighting the two of them. One time he says, knife, fork, scissors, flames have no place in children's games. Yeah. <laughs> it's some very strange dialogue, but he delivers it with a plum. Uh, he calls himself the devil. When he rouses Martha, he says, Martha, it's me. I'm your joker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what that means, but okay. And he like wipes the blood. He wipes mm. her stomach and she's not hurt anymore. Yeah, just magically healed. Yeah. And he tells her that she's going to have to try harder if she wants to make it home and get it get back to her son. Mm-hmm. And he explains that he is going to give her another life. He uses specifically that terminology, like a game terminology. Uh-huh. And he tells her that she didn't actually know the rules yet and that he would never be unfair as a player. Right. And then we get this comical like breakdown on the rules of what's going on. Yeah, we get like graphics coming up on the screen and mm-hmm. stuff, like a video game or something. And so the first rule is you have to put trust in the strength of your mind. Yep, use your smarts. Mm-hmm. The second rule is each level ends when every enemy is defeated. Killed. Killed. Yes. Killed. And the third rule is to never ever say his name. It's a very important rule. Mm-hmm. As it often is when you get a, a Beetlejuice or a <laughs> <laughs> right, right. similar entity. <laughs> um, so she actually can't leave the hut until she kills them. Yes. <laughs> and somehow by doing this, it will progress her closer to getting back to her son. Right. And another thing that clues us in that this isn't entirely serious is the fact that when the uh, pink rabbit knocks out the father and son, you see like animated birds yeah. and stars around their heads and stuff. I quite like that too. Yeah, some Looney Tunes kind of influence. So yeah, she like chops off the father's arm. And this is where we get that CG blood. It's just a second, but when the arm yeah, pops off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Um, but then she cuts off both her heads and there's a screen graphic that says you win mm-hmm. and there's like confetti and stuff like Rip Taylor was nearby or something. <laughs> and notably when she's killing them, we get a shot of that Confederate flag again and the blood is splashing. Over yeah. It. I think it's saying something there. And then when she goes to leave, she sets the hut on fire, tells them to go to hell motherfuckers. <laughs> and we see the flame spread onto the Confederate flag. Yeah. Which, again, I think definitely some, some subtext yep. pointed message there. I think you're right. That we can all get behind. Definitely. Uh, and then she's transported again. Mm-hmm. And she finds herself like outside. And there's like a bunch of weird objects around. Almost like modern art or something. Yeah. There's like a washing machine and like this kind of small tent. Which once I read a little bit about um, her background as like an, like an artist and a creative. And talking about like doing these art installations... 
I wonder if some of her time doing things like that influenced some of the visual design hmm. on her filmmaking. Yeah, most likely, I'd say. Because that's what this felt like. It felt like it was like an art installation that she had been warped into. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's a good observation. Why, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, there's interesting mood lighting in this next level. We get kind of like a, a purplishy blue color tone. Mm-hmm. And also her... Uh, I assume to be her kid keeps like popping in and out, mm-hmm. like he's like wearing a, a yellow raincoat, which made me think of Georgie from It. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, it's the wrong color, but also made me think of um, Don't Look Now. Mm-hmm. I love a reference to Don't Look Now. <laughs> I actually didn't even think about that either. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Um, and you. she gets a vision during this time too mm-hmm. of a car crash that's happening. And we see it like very quickly and not really clearly defined, at least this time. Yes. Um, and we see what it's her phone drops, and it's a call from her boss on the phone. Yep. And then blood splatters all over it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then she goes into this little tent, which gets a lot bigger once she's inside. So I guess it's like, you know, the TARDIS or something. <laughs> and we get an adorable cat. And again, props to the people making this film. Despite their budget, they got a real cat. We didn't have a fucking CG cat sitting there for no reason. I have a feeling that's probably their cat. Well, it was a very good boy or girl. Yes. Nice black cat. And I appreciate it. Yep. We are renowned cat lovers. I think anyone who regularly <laughs> listens to this podcast knows that. Um, yeah, but she meets a fortune teller. She's kind of a gothic Romani. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, she looks like she's either, I don't and, know. And it's, it's played by Zetkin too, right? Is it? Is it? I got that vibe. It could have been another, I don't have a listing in the credits here that I have from IMDb of, a, of an actual, like, I didn't think actress was, for it. I don't see it either. Well, I just wondered because they had a similar nature to them and all their shots were like cross shots. Like they were never in the same frame together. So Maybe I it was her, huh? Okay, let's go back and watch that and see. Jury, yeah, jury's no, out on that, but if so, it was good enough to fool Jason. Was, uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, and this uh, fortune teller shows her a vision mm-hmm. of her and her son. Her son's dressed in a bunny costume, and they're on the road. And he's like going out into the road and she stops because she's got a call from Mr. Brown boss, mm-hmm. which that's the name of her boss, Mr. Brown. And we don't really see what happens, but you get the feeling that something terrible happened here. Right. Right. At this point I was really intrigued enough. I was trying to kick in and like, uh, intuit out the plot of what's going on. So I'm like, you know, is, is the kid dead? Is this like a denial thing? Is right. she dead? Is this like a death dream that yeah. we're going through? Um, it sets up a lot of interesting ideas of what it could be, but they're still kind of teasing you along at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, we get some more great lines from the fortune teller. <laughs> at one point she says, hell is an empty place. And I was like, ooh, I like that line. That really hit yeah. hit just right. Um, and Zedkin has some amazing lines at this part too. Because Martha is like just sick of this shit. She doesn't want to deal with it anymore. <laughs> yeah. And there's this great part where she's just like, I don't want to play games. <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> um, but the fortune teller keeps causing all these like visions and hallucinations. She's hearing her son like calling out for her, but she can't find her son. And it's kind of uh, kind of like wearing her down. She has a little bit of a breakdown as she's sort of accosted by these visions and stuff. Yeah, and she tries to leave the tent, and she's like, I'll, I'll use the power of my mind, mm-hmm. like the Pink Rabbit said. Yeah, mind over matter. Yeah, and she tries to bust through, but it's like she hits a solid wall and falls backward. And the fortune teller says that, you know, only death can allow you to escape. Something to that effect. Uh, and she tries to fight back. And <laughs> the fortune teller, like, takes off her, uh, uh, what would you call Head it? wrapping. Yeah, thing? yeah. Scarf. Scarf. Yeah. yeah. It's like this scarf. big, like, mutant brain. Yeah, I was... loved how this looked, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it reminded me of the spider lady from Spookies. Yeah, it kind of does. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, so. And she, like, starts using psychic powers on Martha. Yeah, she's, like, throwing stuff at her. Hmm. Throwing all carry on her and shit. And ultimately builds up to her ripping her own heart out. Yes. Which is a crazy awesome scene because <laughs> yeah. actually you actually see the beating heart and it's like pulsing in her hand yeah and it talks to her in her son's voice which is pretty disturbing <laughs> it's a little this is a strange scene and she kisses her heart mm-hmm. and put puts it back in and, and and this is all done it's not like there's no big elaborate special effects right. it's all pretty much just i'm holding something in my hand and taking it away from my chest right but it looks good and that's one of the things we've talked about before like if you are on a low budget make it the way that you can make it where it still passes, but you do the thing. Yeah. Like don't like stretch beyond your budget. Yeah. That kind of thing. I'll take some sleight of hand any day over crappy CG. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, Martha then gets up and she like kicks a shard of glass and it hits the fortune teller <laughs> in the brain and blood starts pumping out. And, uh, and then she gives her a good kick in the head and uh, she, the fortune teller evaporates into smoke. The level's over. Oh, so she thinks, but it is not. Right. She doesn't she doesn't poof out. There's no uh you win this time. <laughs> she hears this high pitched voice. <laughs> thinks it's the pink rabbit, but it's not. It's that black cat. And I really gotta praise them for this because you know, animal speaking in films is like a thing that goes back for forever and ever and ever. There's all kinds of ways you can do it. Sure. And they actually like kinda do a trick with the cat where they get it to like lick its lips. Yeah. They probably of, put something like it, you know. And kinda like chaw its mouth a little bit. Mm-hmm. They and, do a little bit of rocking back and forth mm-hmm. to make it look like it's talking. Yeah, and it, it looks really good, I thought. Yeah, it works. Compared to like having a CG'd you know Yeah, mouth opening spot. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um although the the voice was pitched so high I had trouble understanding what it was saying. Yeah, but, it was a little uh like Halloween mask voice yeah. decoder box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but the cat's talking to her, saying shit like how he's the you know ultimate enemy here and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And she breaks the fourth wall. I loved this line. And says, who wrote that shit? <laughs> yeah. Like, a talking cat? Who wrote that she shit? Says, I'm supposed to kill a talking cat? Who wrote that shit? And she looks directly at <laughs> yeah, the camera. Yeah, directly at us, yes. Which is hilarious when she is also the director also the and the writer. writer. Yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, and I loved how they handled the stunts here. Cause that's another thing with animals is doing stunts and how you can work that out. And they just use like a plush doll of a black cat. And it's obvious. Yeah. They're, they're not even really trying to pass this off as nope. like an actual real cat. You know, they're just like, yes, this is a stuffed animal. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, we're in this, it's, it's a dream or it's some sort of supernatural 
world that we're in. So in a way, it kind of works. Yeah, it has that nightmare logic to it. Right. We already like stepped away from reality at this point. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, yeah, okay. It's it's a plushie while she's beating it up. Yeah. <laughs> she gets this <laughs> like dangly necklace and distracts the cat, you know, trying to get the cat to play with it. And then she kicks it. <laughs> and it's obviously the stuffed animal she kicks. And it hits the wall and stops and just kind of slides down, <laughs> leaving a blood trail. <laughs> and then she takes a knife. Mm-hmm. And she grabs the cat, and it's the real cat again. And you're starting to feel kind of like, oh, no, poor kitty. <laughs> and I swear to God, she fucking quotes Star Trek. <laughs> she says, in another world, we could have been friends. Which is paraphrasing of um, <laughs> a classic first season episode of the original series, um, Balance see, of Terror. See, I wondered how you were going to swing Star Trek <laughs> into this episode. Dude, it's totally there. Because there's this is, ro- the yeah. Romulan commander on the opposing side of Kirk. Kirk has bested him, and the commander says, in another reality, I could have called you friend. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell you, this is a Star Trek <laughs> night. They are Star Trek fans. And she stabs it. And it's kind of off screen. You just hear the cat, mm-hmm. like, yowling. But it's such a cute cat. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that does clear the level. Yes. The UN flashes again, and she disappears and finds herself out in the woods during the day this time. Mm-hmm. And the pink rabbit's back. Yes. And I loved it because he's doing the same bit again where he's like being vague, kind of tormenting her, kind of joking around. And she's just like done with his shit at this point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's like a cross between uh, Bugs Bunny and Curly from the Three Stooges. Yeah. That's a good comparison. And, and a maniacal killer. Um, and there's this great part where she like tackles him down and is just going to kill him. And then when it happens, it's someone else that she's killed. Yeah. Yeah. It's like just some vagrant or something. I'm not sure. We're going to get a look at them. Um, he also like coughs up a cat keychain mm-hmm. that we see that her son got her earlier, which is a black cat. It's a black cat. Um, <laughs> and he makes you think her son is there. Yeah. And they embrace <laughs> That's the most awkward kiss I've ever seen. <laughs> it, it lingers a while. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I think as Americans, there's not so much affection <laughs> like that. So I think that's more of a cultural disconnect there for us. Probably, probably. Not. Maybe it's just the way it's like staged and framed mm-hmm. too. Just, um, but it turns out that it's just a doll. Yeah, not the real thing. I did like that transition too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, she tries attacking the rabbit again, but he just disappears. And, and a couple of times, she's almost slipped up and said his name, but mm-hmm. she's caught herself. She'll say pink rab yeah, and like stop herself. Yeah. <laughs> then say something like that pink <laughs> motherfucker or whatever. Yeah. Or, or the guy in the pink jumpsuit. Yeah. Uh, let's see. And then she gets whisked away to her next quest. Yes. She's in a building and these masked men come in. They're like some police unit or something. <laughs> And they're pointing guns. Did you at her. get police unit at first? Because I thought they were like military. I was thinking like paramilitary. And then like the next like scene, SWAT team or she's like in an interrogation room for police, and it makes it clear they are police. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> it makes more sense once you get the context of this segment. Yes. Yes. But at first, like, I was like, where is she? Why is the military here? Why are they holding her at gunpoint? <laughs> right. Is she a political <laughs> hostage now? What's going on? Um, um. <laughs> yeah, this guy is uh, Officer O'Hare. Um, uh, no, he's, he's Officer Fox. Fox. Her last name is O'Hare. Oh, yeah. Which he emphasizes. Oh, no, I typoed in my notes. O'Hare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Officer Fox. Yes. Yeah, Officer Fox. 
and he's great. He's got this real intensity to him. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of has the same vibe as like Captain Rhodes from Day of the Dead, you know, uh, Joseph Pilato. Joseph Pilato, yeah, yes. like that real like intensity where it seems like he could just take charge and go off the rails at any moment. Yeah, yeah. But he never quite goes that level. <laughs> no. He's always teetering right on the edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this um, is when I discovered we're in America, Boston to be specific. Yes. But they are the SBI, mm-hmm. uh, Special Bureau of Investigations. Mm-hmm. You see their logo. Yeah, that was when it all clicked for me, the logo. Mm. Right. Um, yeah, but he is questioning her. Uh, tells her that her son's dead and she knows that. And we get a lot of plot drop by uh, the officer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he says that her son was killed by a woman named Brown. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, this she woman... Was, yeah. She was driving, and she was reaching around on her floorboard, fishing around, hunting for her mobile phone, not paying attention. Yes. Um, and then Officer Fox tells her that she's killed four people and a black cat. Yeah. <laughs> and so then it casts this interesting Paul on the earlier parts of the film. Knowing that, because that, that adds up to the number of people that we've seen her kill. Yeah. And then the cop gets this whimsical look on his face and says that the cat looked like Mr. Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Which I guess was a cat he had or something. But uh, Martha says that the name of the pig killed by the father and son was named Mr. Jenkins. Mm-hmm. And that made me think of Brown Jenkins. Yeah. I don't know if that's intentional, but I thought of Brown Jenkins. I think anytime I hear the name Jenkins, I just think of Brown Jenkins. Yeah, me too. Me too. Little rat thing running around. So he produces a photo of Caleb and Kane. Yes. And then she's like, oh, yeah, they're cannibals. They're crazy. And he reveals that they're known people in the area and that Kane's wife and son died in a fire. Yeah, they're like farmers or something. Yeah, they're just simple farmers. So if you thread this back through, if this is what's going on, which we still don't even know yet, but if it is, it kind of makes sense that they have sort of the rustic look to where they were and that if they are rural farmers, maybe they are kind of leaning... Uh, to some weird alt-right stuff. <laughs> so it makes sense that they just got a Confederate flag hanging proudly on the wall. Right, right. Um, you know, my used to be where my old works office was. My drive to work would take me by a house that's just flying a Confederate flag <sighs> every single day. And I would just be like, fuck, man, why? Yeah. Why do we live here, Jason? Seriously. I don't know, man. I really don't. <sighs> oh, well. Um, he also shows her a videotape. Mm-hmm. She's dressed as a rabbit killing the fortune teller but she's using a rifle right so completely different context yeah completely different oh and apparently the guy in the wood was supposed to be like a security guard or something Mm -hmm. or a warden something like that (laughs) I have this typed in my notes they're supposed to be in Boston (laughs) (laughs) um I will say I've mostly been all praise for this film so far Uh this is the one scene where I am going to be a little hard on this film okay I love a good twist and I think this is a good twist and I think it's played out in a good way but i do think the pacing on this segment of the story is a little too slow yeah it gets sluggish here Mm -hmm. i agree um but he suggests to her that this pink rabbit she's talking about is just like a persona of her it's a reflection of herself yeah and in her insanity maybe it's driving her to kill yeah but he's really trying to determine like is she crazy or does she know what she's doing Mm -hmm. and then this rabbit thing is just like her trying to craft an excuse yeah uh, <laughs> uh, he wants her to confess. Yep. And he leaves her room for a minute and she like reads her file. You <laughs> could even see like killed black cat yeah. like, typed on it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, which that just upholds the like whole dream, dreamy yeah. nightmare yeah, dream nature. Logic, right. There's an interesting subplot here too, and they don't go too far with it. But uh, Fox has some subordinates. Yeah, they don't seem to want to do their job. Yeah, the one guy's new. The other one's just kind of lazy. Yeah. And there's this weird exchange where he shouts at them, <laughs> and it's this whole thing about like them being interested in being like underground revolutionaries. Yeah. <laughs> I guess he does kind of challenge uh, Captain Rhodes at this point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then she has a speech about not giving up and not losing her mind. And the cop comes in at the end of this and like cla- claps sarcastically. Mm-hmm. And he has a great line I wrote down says, I'm not a brown nose critic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's. Oh yeah, 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 he he compares it to um, after she says all of that, he says um, if this were a film, this is another like fourth wall break. If this was a film, movie critics would be praising your performance, but this isn't, and I'm not a brown nosing critic. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. I'm not a brown nosing critic. Yeah. I like that part too. <laughs> it's great, and she also notices that this cup that he's got uh, has like this three rabbit logo on it, mm-hmm. which she saw in the box earlier, and it was on the chalice. In the shack where Caleb and Kane was. Yes. Um, and so to her, that kind of like is almost a signal that's like, you know, this is still the game. She isn't crazy. Mm-hmm. This is just the next level still. Yeah. And she tries to attack him. The cop just starts wailing on her. Yeah. And he does the old, uh, the old classic turn the camera. Yeah. Tilt it up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the and, big rabbit shows up. Yeah. But he, he assaults her pretty bad. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Whales on her. A lot of gut punches and stuff. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's interesting, too, because the the younger officer, he, like, interjects at one point, And he's like, hey, is everything okay? And he's like, you get back out there. Yeah, <laughs> And right. like you never saw anything. Yeah, yeah. So he's scared. He's go- he leaves. But yeah, the rabbit does come pop back in. And he's hiding from the cop. This is, like, the most Looney Tunes It's very Looney moment. Tunes, yeah. Because every time the cop turns around, you know, he, the rabbit's, like, on the other side of him or gets down on his hands and knees. And whatever he says or does, the rabbit's mocking him, just yeah. making fun of him. <laughs> There's a part where the cop leans down and the rabbit gets behind him and he's pretending to fuck him. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah, that's whenever um, he gets under the table and she tells the cop, oh, the, the rabbit's under the table right now. Yeah. So then he goes to look. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh oh yeah, <laughs> Officer Fox has that great line when he's talking to the subordinate who comes in, and he's like saying that he got his job because of his dad. The subordinate yeah. did. He's got a good golf game. Yeah, I like your father, and he is an awesome fucking golfer. <laughs> uh, this dude has great lines. Yeah, yeah. We should say too that's uh, David Ketter played Officer Fox. Yeah, I yeah. like him a lot. Uh, and the rabbit reminds her that she has to kill all of her enemies. It's the only way. Mm-hmm. And he, like, gives her a sword? Oh, and I... This is another scene I want to harp on. Yeah, okay. Um, so he tells her to remember the rules, and then we get a flashback to the scene that's in the shack when he first explained the rules. And it's really just that scene spliced out and put back in again. Yes. And that's another spot where it's like, that's kind of just like... Yeah, we don't need it. Pointless padding. It's one of those things, and I wrote this down in my notes because I didn't want to say it. This is one of those things where it's like, you should trust your audience. Mm-hmm. Um, if if they're involved enough that they've come this far, they're going to remember that scene, right. I think. Like, or, or maybe list it on screen like uh, the protocol text from Robocop or something, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, she gets a sword. And she cuts off the dude's head. And I loved this. They have like the dummy neck. Yeah, like, the yeah. 
It's it's like a classic like full moon trauma. Oh kind sure, of thing. yeah. They put like it looks like it could have been a real piece of meat. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. Maybe like a like a leg of an animal or something. I don't know. It, it looked good. From a butcher shop. Yeah. Not not realistic, but right. good in the context right, of the right, scene. Right. Right. It, it's medium bloody, so it works. <laughs> <laughs> um. And then she's back out on a road. Yeah. And we get this nice scene of her just kind of walking, and she's sort of cursing her fate at this point. Right. She just wants to go home. That's all she's yep. been trying to do. That's all she wants. She's had to kill all these people, everything. And then her van pops back up, <laughs> but the rabbit's at the wheel. Yes. And he says, you know, get in. We'll take you home. Yeah. She, she cleared the three quests. Uh-huh. And he does. And she gets home. And he gives her um, the key to the house to get in. And he gives, he's going to give her a present to remember him by. But she just kind of tells him to fuck off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he says, all right, but remember, the choice is up to you. Yeah. yeah. So she comes in. Her kid's there. They have this nice, happy reunion. Mm-hmm. Um, and the kid is played by their kid. Yes. Because it's credited as Emil Yakilmus. Mm-hmm. Which you can tell they just have, like, perfect chemistry. It's obvious. Sure. Yeah, they're related. it's obviously that. Yeah, okay. um, so we get this nice little scene, and then as it plays out, she's going to read him a story uh-huh. from the bed. And the she, title is Homecoming of the Pink Rabbit. So boom, now we're clicking back all the way to the start of the film, mm-hmm. where we got that drop. And she just kind of goes into the story and starts reading it, which starts with saying Pink Rabbit. Yep. And we get another animated segment. Mm-hmm. She becomes a cartoon and drops into a hole. Yeah, the kid vanishes the second she says, says the name. Uh-huh. Then she is a cartoon, and she falls down this chasm. And then this pink rabbit cartoon comes out. It tells her that she's lost. She broke the third rule. He said my name. And again, they do another flashback to him explaining the third rule. That's yeah. another one I was like, mm. We get it. We know, we know. We know. We pay attention. We liked the film up to this point, so we're, <laughs> we're, on, we're on board with you. Uh, um, then we get a great, another Looney Tunes homage, really. A piano drops on her. Yeah, and like blood goes everywhere. <laughs> And she wakes back up in her office. Yeah, she's, she's falling asleep at work. Have you ever fallen asleep at work? No. I have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you lucky bastard. <laughs> well, you work third shift at the hotels, it happens. <laughs> um, and this guy's working her to death, so yeah, yep. she's sleepy. Um, but and yeah, she, she answers the phone. She gets the call again. The call it's the same call from yep. before, yeah. And she's so excited. She says, oh, it was just a dream. And she assures them that she's going to come home. Yep. She gets up. Gets her coat and everything and leaves. And we see the pink rabbit drop down in the background again. Yep. And then that text pops up, round one. Start new game. Mm-hmm. So it's just going to happen over and over again like a Mobius strip. I love a Mobius strip film. You didn't like Triangle. Well, that's because that one sucks. This one reminded me of Triangle. This the one, whole mother-son thing and all that? I, I can see that, yeah. Well, I think this one did it better, I'll be honest. Really? Okay. Yeah, fuck you, Triangle. Wow! I like Triangle. It's a good movie. It insisted upon itself. Oh my god, did not. Okay. Um, We're not talking about Triangle. We're talking about Pink Rabbit. Which is a better film. So, <laughs> that's the movie. Uh, we get a little final shot of that field from the intro mm-hmm. as the credits play. Yes. And that's when you re- you really take in just how much uh, Zetkin herself did for the film. Oh yeah. I mean, it's obviously it's a labor of love. It's a shoestring budget. Mostly um, Zetkin and... Dominic, as far as all the production and everything behind it. And, and she it, explained in the email that they basically shot it on their farm, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like in their house and all yep. that stuff. 
Uh, it was self-financed, very low budget, would be considered a micro-budget. Oh, you, and you could tell that it's, like, like especially like at the police station and stuff, because some of the walls are just, the flats that are obviously just painted bricks. Mm-hmm. But again, you're talking about nightmare logic, so it doesn't really matter. Right, it almost feels like that's just what it is. Yeah, right. Um, and so speaking of other movies, like, bringing up Triangle is a good point, even though I don't enjoy it. Mm. Uh, another movie I wanted to bring up, and this is maybe some high praise for me, but I wanted to talk about it. Um... There is a Shion Sono film called Tag. <laughs> of course. And the premise in that one is it's this girl, and I won't play it all out, but uh, she's going through different scenarios that seem to be different lives that she's falling through. And in the end, it turns out she's actually like within this game. And the game exists basically for this thing that's kind of very exploitative of like men play it to see these girls and to see them get killed and tormented. Hmm. And when you thread through Pink Rabbit, that's really what's happening here is each one of these quests... Is some kind of vignette where we have a woman being tormented uh, uh, in the first and the third by men mm-hmm. directly. Uh, the fortune teller one's a bit different because it's going in another she direction. She might be an alien. I don't know, man. That big um, old brain of hers. But yeah, so it was an interesting parallel and it made me think of that. And if you, if you dig the vibe that this is doing, you should check out Tag. Um, if you dig Tag, maybe check this out because I, I was getting some, some vibes there the same, yeah. even though they end up in different places. It also makes me think of Run, Lola, Run. Did you ever see that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, well. So, what I want to ask you now, I guess, mm-hmm. is what do you think? Like, what's going on here in this film? It is a Mobius strip, so it could be nothing or it could be anything. Yeah, I mean, it could just be a nightmare. You know, it could be her being punished. Maybe she's somehow responsible for her son's death, you know? I wanted to talk about that because of what we can see of the death, the kid wanders out into the road she immediately is checking her phone when it rings. To me, I got the vibe like she knows it's her boss. Yeah, so she, she has, has to, to answer, answer it. it. Yeah, And um, it's more a subtext thing, but I think there's something about the fact that she's so wrapped up in this job. Right. In a way, is it suggesting like that has like led to the kid's death? Yes. I think it's definitely a critique of... And, and women are so... They're judged so harshly in two different ways. It's like if a woman has to work... Mm-hmm. A, a working mother some people will you know victimize her and villainize her mm-hmm. saying oh you're spending your what, what are you concentrating your career so much for you should be raising your child mm-hmm. but you know a lot of women have to work just to support right, their family have an option yeah um i think that's part of it and maybe setting it in america really kind of drives home the fact that we're so, so supposed to be so pro family mm-hmm. but our maternity leave is a joke yeah Absolutely. Um, women in the workplace get paid like what half as much as men do typically, mm-hmm. and they had to put up with all this abuse—you know, sexual, verbal, and all that. Still do. It's definitely a commentary on that. Mm-hmm. I think you're absolutely right. Um, another way I saw you could read it too is that this whole the scene of what the movie we see almost is kind of like this sort of like purgatorial hell she's in, where she's gonna play through these events again and again until she can kind of like accept what's happened to her son and that her son is dead. Mm-hmm. Or she never will because she's in hell and she's right. being tortured. Um, but I, my favorite interpretation that I've landed on is kind of what you just said, that it's sort of this indictment of um, the workplace. And yeah. It's kind of a dark fable in that way, I think. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that is the film. Um, do you have any other final thoughts you want to toss out, Jason? Um, well, I mean, I... I I did enjoy the movie. 
it is definitely micro budget. So those of you who aren't used to watching something that's so low budget, so DIY, it it's going to come across as cheesy and amateurish. And you know, parts of it are, and that's fine. Because I think it's awesome that people just do this. Right. You know, how many of us have said, oh, I can make a better movie than that, but we never do it. Yeah, put up or shut up. Yeah, right. But they've done it, you know. And it's it's competently made. You know, it's 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 mm-hmm. well made. Um, sure, some of the acting is amateurish and stuff, but I mean, they are amateurs, you know. And it's it reminds me also of, and the whole thing about her art background makes a lot more sense now too, because it makes me think of like John Waters films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which are definitely trash cinema. And that's a good comparison too, I think, because <laughs> his actors were all amateurs, and it was mm-hmm. over the top, and you know, they weren't like in quotation mark, good actors. But that's the point. That's the yeah. point. Yeah, that's the point. And I don't think this is trash because it's not exploitive enough. Mm. You know, there's not a lot of nudity. Actually, there's no nudity. Mm. There's no, like, gore. It's not using those exploitational elements. It's like, we don't have a budget. We need blood and tits, you know? Right. Um, the, the classic filler to sell the Right, film. yeah. Which, hey. But I think this film, it's got a cool concept and it's got, like, a really strong message behind it. So I don't know that it needed those things. It doesn't. I mean, I, we're like horror hounds, so we would be sure. fine with that in there. But Absolutely. Yeah, I think it can stand on its own merits, though. No, I agree. I agree. Um, so I, I'm going to land on 2.5. Okay. Which sounds a bit harsh, but that's a fair oh, average man, what rating. What the fuck? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I, after our discussion, I'm, I might go to a three. Okay. I might go to a three. I'll go to a three. Okay, good. Because I was on the fence with that, and and I'm on a three now. Because <laughs> so I do think it's worth watching. I think it's fun. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It gets mm-hmm. a little sluggish in the third act, like you mentioned. Yeah, it could be, to me, like the, the pacing could be tightened up just a little bit, but just really little, not yeah. that much. And I've seen so many other films that are way worse Oh God, with their pacing. We just watched one <laughs> before this. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't want to think about it. Yeah, let's not think about that one. All right, so if I'm rating this on Letterboxd, I'm actually really, I'm more forgiving on a lot of films like this because if I like it, if I dug what it was doing, if I think it's got a cool message, if I had fun, uh, you know, are there some criticisms? Yeah, I've kind of doled those out as we've gone along. Um, but really, in the scope of like, especially being a micro budget horror film like this, man, it was a lot of fun. So I would give it a four. Wow. Rock, okay. rock solid on the four. All right. Um, and I will be picking this up on Blu ray if it's possible to purchase one. Nice. Nice. And if not, I'm sure it's going to be able to stream on like Tubi and Amazon and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yep, and I'll put all those links in the show note so you can go check it out for yourself. Yeah. See what you think. Go show this film some love and give it a shot. Yeah, um, give it a watch. Take Jason's warning and concession in your mind if you're not big on like lower budget kind of stuff like this. But I think it's worth a shot. Yeah, you're going to see stuff in these movies you're not going to see anywhere else. They're so personal and so honest in certain ways mm-hmm. you know and that's what i love about stuff like this yeah because it's unfiltered it's just mm-hmm. purely a product of the creators uh so i do want to say zetkin thank you for reaching out to us yeah thank you very much this. we very much appreciate it we would love to check out any future films you have down the yeah, road keep up the good work um i hope this does well i hope people get a chance to check it out kind of vibe to what it's doing because i think there's a lot to love here um and again if you are listening in and you happen to be an indie film director and you want people to get eyes on your movie, we love to do this. Love it. Um, all we can promise is our honesty, but we are happy to do it and check it out. And I do know we have a few things sitting pending in the backlog where a few people have contacted us, and we haven't forgotten about you. No. 
It's just a matter of scheduling and finding the time. Yes. And that's part of this episode. Um, to our regular listeners, I suppose, let us know what you think about this whole duo format, just Jason and me. Uh, there might be times where in the future we can squeeze more of this stuff in, but it might just be me and Jason or Jason and Michael or... Mm-hmm. Uh, or just, just Dustin. Just me, you know, <laughs> shouting for like an hour alone in my office on the mic. Um, whatever. We'll, Talk about nightmare logic. Yeah. We'll see what happens. But yeah, uh, let us know what you think of this. Definitely go check out Pink Rabbit. Show it some love. Um, they're very active on social media too, so I'll link their social media profiles. Yeah. So you can follow them and keep track of what they're up to. Right on. All right, well, uh, normally Michael would do our outro here, so um, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Uh, We love it. Hit us up on all the social medias. Uh, Let us know what you've been watching, what you think of the films, if you've seen one. Um, Send us movie recommendations, because we're always looking to watch stuff. The weirder, the better. Um, Yeah. Uh, Thanks very much. Yeah. I'm going to have to study up on how Michael does this. (laughs) He does a good wrap-up. I'm so good on the intro, I'm lock solid on that, but... Um, So yeah, you've been listening to Genre Exposure. Uh, Thank you. We'll see you again next time. Yeah, bye everyone. Take care. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening